Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast, brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, and Orvis Fly Fishing. Whether you chase fish in freshwater streams or saltwater flats, you've probably heard about the iconic company Orvis. As a kid, some of my earliest memories included watching my father select dry flies on vacation in the Smoky Mountains while I checked under stream rocks for salamanders and other critters. It was in those early years that I was first introduced to the brand that made rods, reels, and just about every other type of gear you could find in a fly shop or outfitter. In today's episode, we sit down with Simon Perkins, president of Orvis, and talk about how his grandfather took a small operation and built it into the brand that we all know and love today. Simon also shares how he found his own love for the outdoors as a kid, what he has picked up and learned from fishing and hunting with some of the best in the world, and what matters most as Orvis continues to push on to what's next. Simon also shares some details about Orvis's most recent project with Hell's Bay, where they are teaming up to raffle a custom skiff in order to help raise funding and awareness for our friends at Captains for Clean Water. To learn more about the raffle and this important project, head to our blog at captainscollective.com. I hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up as you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's an old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Out? So look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Hey, Simon, thanks so much for hanging out with us and joining us on the podcast today. I'm excited just to dive into a lot of different topics about what's going on at Orvis and your background in fishing in the outdoor community. Uh, And before we get into all that, I'd love just to hear about, for you, when did you first fall in love with the outdoors and really get involved? Yeah. um, Yeah, Hunter, thanks for having me on. It's it's fun to to be on the podcast. Um, Yeah, so, I I mean, I was... was pretty darn fortunate in the way that uh, I was I was born with a fly rod in, in my hand I didn't didn't really have much of a choice which I which I feel lucky about um, Orvis Orvis is a family company um, my grandfather bought it in the 1960s when it was just it was kind of a one-shop deal uh, he ran it my da- dad and my uncle ran it in the 90s and um, and and so, you know, growing up, it, it's it's you know it's a cliche that people throw around, but it, fly fishing and and bird hunting, it, it it wasn't it wasn't a hobby. It was just it's kind of how life went. It was it was what you do. Um, everything 
everything we did as a family involved a fly rod or or a bird dog. Um, I remember, I remember as a young kid being shocked that when I found out that people would kind of just when they would go and lie on beaches during school breaks and that's kind of how they spent their time that just blew my mind just because I'd, I'd, I'd come back from school breaks just being exhausted from from long days chasing fish or chasing birds which was a lot of fun um and so yeah it was you know it was always it was always around me and it was it was um it, it, it again it's a cliche but it really was a a way of life you know when I was 13 I I um I had a job raking pond scum out of ponds at a lodge in Montana and then <laughs> you know kept going back there throughout colleges working and was able to take people fishing here and there and then when I was 18 I got my guide license and throughout college would drive from Vermont out to Montana to to guide guiding was always something I always wanted to do growing up and um and then when I graduated from school I moved out to Montana full time um guided guided for eight years, both, both fish and birds. Um, and then eventually found my way, uh, back to Orvis where, where I'm working there now full time. Yeah. And I was, I was curious about that because I knew about your family and just the, the legacy that, that your family's had at Orvis. And it seems like a lot of people, sometimes they, they don't follow in their father's or grandfather's footsteps. They go run away and, and do something else. Was there ever a time where you wanted to pursue something other than working in the family business? Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, um, it's funny guiding. I, 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 I guided a ton of people who were involved in either their own family business or other family business. And, and there's some, there's some horror stories out there, you know, of, of, of it going wrong or people being put in bad situations or just not wanting to be a part of it. And, um, and yeah, I was, I was really lucky. It was something I think my father really believed in, which was, um, he, he wanted me to find my own passions and to find my own way and to learn my own lessons. It was going to be there to support me and, and, and help me in ways that he could, but it, it, it had to be genuine, you know what I mean? And so, um, I, uh, yeah, it was, it was something he always did when I was little and, and my mom and aunts and uncles and grandparents. So I was always tagging along with a fly rod and, and developed my own love for it. But, but the guiding, the coming back to Orvis, you know, there was never any pressure to do that or any expectations. It was just, it was kind of a passion that, that, um, that I found, found for myself and developed for myself. I mean, when I say I found myself, it was, it was obviously there for me when, when I was born and throughout my childhood, but it was something that I, um, you know, it, uh, it, it was, it was something that, that I loved and, and, and guiding and wanting to help people connect with that was something that was really passionate for me. And, and so kind of, kind of found my own pathway through it. Yeah. Is, is your grandfather still alive? Yeah, he is. Um, he's, uh, he's in his mid nineties. He still keeps track of all the days he fishes and hunts. The last time I asked him what it was, it was, it was around 250 days. Um, and, uh, you know, he, I, he's, I don't know how he does it. Um, if I'm, if I'm cranking at those RPMs when I'm in my seventies, I'm going to be happy, but he's, (laughs) he's, he's hard to keep up with. And, and, uh, it's just, it's, it's really, really special. I have a, I have a three-year-old and six-year-old and, you know, before COVID hit, um, was able to spend time with him and he just sits there and watches them 
whip whip a fly rod around like they're Indiana Jones and he just has this huge smile on his face. But no man, he he gets after it. He has a motor. He's 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 way more hardcore than I am. <laughs> that's that's incredible and and uh encouraging to to hear for sure. With with him, like when he first bought the business and before it was what it is today, you know, when it was like you mentioned, just in the very early stages, what what was it that drew him to to the business and company? Yeah, it's funny. So he got introduced. He fell in love with fishing and hunting through his through his mom. It was his. It was my great grandmother who loved fishing, um, and this was back in the day when um, there weren't a lot of other women doing it. And her husband, my great grandfather, actually wasn't that interested in it. And um, and so my grandfather, her son, was was kind of her her fishing and hunting companion and and as a young boy you know she would there were some fishing lodges that she couldn't go to as a woman but she'd bring him along even when he was a kid to kind of weasel her way into these places so she could get after (laughs) it which was pretty cool and she she taught him how to shoot actually my my 20 gauge that i shoot is actually her old gun that i had the had the stock fit to me so it's just it's it's he 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 had a love for fishing and, and hunting. Um, you know, he also had a love for, for business, but probably more really connecting with people and creating really meaningful moments for people that could turn that into a business. And so, um, one thing led to another and, and he found, he found Orvis, which like I said, was just a small, small company in Southern Vermont. And, um, uh, he, he got to know the owner and, um, he said it was kind of, he, 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 He's quoted as saying it was, it was like courting someone's daughter. He was he just he he got he got to know the know the owner, got close to him, eventually convinced him to to let him uh, to buy the company, and then and then you know and then it was it was all about just how do you how do you help others sort of connect with this uh, with this sport and with uh, these fisheries and with these uh, these places that can that changed his life and that he knew could change other people's lives. Yeah. And that leads me really well to one of the questions I had and just wanted to hear more about is that Orvis has always really seemed like it's more than a company, that there's a, a strong culture of education and conservation. And we've seen a lot of, we've seen a lot of growth in that area as more and more companies and uh, companies that have different products are getting involved in, in really conservation. But for Orvis, it seems at least from what I've seen, just a long legacy of that being in the culture. Where, where did that come from? And how do you, how do you try to keep that fresh in the company? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I get, I'll start with conservation. Um, on a personal level for me, it, it, it really started and was reinforced from day one. You know, when, when I, when I watched my grandfather go fishing with him, he was just as interested in, and learning about and protecting a species as he was catching it or, or hunting it. Right. Um, it was the same with my dad, same with my uncle, same with everyone in my family, uh, fly fishing and hunting were, were ways to intimately connect with species and habitat. Right. And, and learn about it, learn about them and, and fall in love with them. And then once you do that, you, you want to protect it. So it, it was, that that was just kind of the the way it was. I guess I didn't really know any other way. And and that and for 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 Orvis, that really that really is an ethos for the company. Um, you know, my my many people tell me that one of the favorite things they've heard my my father say is, you know, he says if 
if we are to benefit from the use of our natural resources, we we got to be willing to act to protect them. And so, you know, where you saw that come through, really, again, it, it's it's where sort of uh, your your job and your personal life really merge. Which, as a family company, that's that's that happens with Orvis all the time. And so, in the in the '80s, my grandfather started uh, what we call Five Percent for Nature, which is um, Orvis taking five percent of pre-tax profits and and committing them to conservation. And he was, it's 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 pretty damn cool. He was really one of the first, uh, first of his generation to really kind of do that with a company to to dedicate percentage of profits uh, to to the natural world. And and I've had others, you know, I've had Johnny Morris at Bass Pro tell me that it was it was my grandfather that inspired him to do that. So it's it's a it's a really mm. cool legacy. And then. Uh, and then in the nineties, my, my, my dad and my uncle, they started, uh, what we call the matching grants, which is, you know, we, we give to conservation, but then we also, um, help our, our customers, you know, they all, they want to give back. They want to buy into the same thing. And so, uh, we, we, we help come up with stuff that we really believe is important for, for protection and for investment and, and customers invest in and over years we've we've raised millions of dollars from our customers wanting to step up and be a part of it as well mm-hmm. um and so this whole idea around conservation has really developed uh into sort of an explicit core value of the company i guess is the best way to put it. i don't mean to i'm not trying to to throw any corporate jargon at you but that's really what it is and and you know, everyone on the Orvis team, it's something that they think about when it comes to, to conservation. And, and annually, you know, we support over 170 conservation projects and partners a year, um, including Bristol Bay and Everglades, which are our two main focuses in 2020, and that will carry into 2021. But yeah, it's just, it's a big part of who we are. And then, you know, the other piece of it is, um, is helping people connect with the sport. Um, again, it, it, that started for me on a personal level. I was whether I was watching my dad or my grandfather or others. They, they love to help people get into the fly fishing, fall in love with the sport. It's it's honestly where I think I was conditioned to kind of love, love guiding. Um, that you know that's that's where I think it. That's where I think I, I got it probably without even knowing it at a young age. Um, it's just that passion for helping people connect with it. Um, and it's something Orvis has always been committed to, you know, whether it's ed- education or access or lowering lowering barriers. That's always been a big part of the company, and and you know, it really comes down to sharing and the inspiration and knowledge around around the the sport that we love. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. And my grandfather bought the company in 1965. One of the first things he did in 1966 was he started uh, started the Orvis Orvis schools. Um, and so that, that our, our, our fly fishing schools, it's, it's 50 years of developing and evolving that curriculum. Um, but it's all about how do you, how do you help share this with others? And then, you know, I don't know if you've heard of it, but we have what we call our fly fishing 101 program, which we've been doing for 10 years. And it's, it's free fly fishing classes at, at our, at our stores. And and we've, we've taught over 250,000 people to fly fish for free. And that, that, that number doesn't even include numbers from from fly shops and other dealer partners who are also doing awesome stuff with that program. Um, and then it's, it's you know it's carried into online tools like our our how to content on our blog or on YouTube videos or we have an online learning center um, at at howtoflyfish.orvis.com. It's it's our podcast that that's all focused on education and and 
and sharing knowledge and sharing an inspiration because it's really it's really what we love to do and love to do it love to engage people at all different parts of their journey from beginners to hardcore but it's you know i uh, we got we got a bunch of amazing people on the team at orvis and they just they all love doing this and it's it's really cool to be a part of yeah, that's that's one of the things that really drew me to Orvis as a company that I wanted to work with was I saw a company that cared more than just the the profit, but also cared about more than just the elite. They cared about uh, people at all different stages and in their kind of learning. And one of the things I was curious about is with this podcast, you know, there's a lot of captains that listen to it. There's a lot of uh, fathers and mothers and and friends who have a desire to pass along how to fish and how to hunt and how to care about conservation. What tips have you learned just from being around all these different people like Tom Rosenbauer and all the great people that are involved at Orvis? What what have you learned about how we can effectively pass that love and knowledge on? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great question. I, you know, you, you asked earlier if there are ever any other passions that I pursued and, and, um, and I, I was a, I was a college soccer player. I actually played a year at semi-pro soccer in in England, and then I and then I I I coached in the off season when I was in Montana, and I coached also when I came back to Vermont, and I coached college level teams. I also have coached um, five year olds and eight year olds, right? And so the reason why I bring that up is because um, Tom Rosenbauer, others, they're they're really knowledgeable. But I think what I've learned the most from how to pass things on is kind of through coaching because you 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 learn that the most important thing, especially with young kids, is to help them just fall in love and to find their own uh, their own love and, and passion and pathway into the sport. And it was it's interesting in, in Montana, I was actually the outfitter I worked for pro outfitters. We started a fly fishing camp where kids would parents would send their kids from all over the country. And it really focused on the idea that Man, there's so many different ways for a kid to fall in love with with fly fishing, whether it's just the art of casting or whether it's the adrenaline of, of that bent rod and having a, a, a fish running on the line or whether it's turning over rocks on a trout stream or or or, or playing with bait fish, you know, in the salt or um, or not tying or fly tying. There's so many different entry points. And it's, it's something I've learned with my kids is that um, they might not they might not fall in love with it the same way I did. I, like I said, I got a, I, I think I told you earlier, I got a three-year-old and a, and a six-year-old and, um, and I also, they, they, they're going to have their own pace that they, that they engage with it. And it's, it's really kind of, it's their passion to own and develop. I, it's really none of my business to go, uh, force that the way I want to or, or ruin it for them. Right. So for me, what I found most effective, whether it's, whether it's, coaching soccer or whether it's get getting kids in for like a fly fishing camp or whether it's guiding kids or whether it's my own kids is just just expose them to all the different ways that they can kind of get into it um and and then just let them let them go at it at whatever pathway they want and at whatever pace they want and they're going to find something that works for them and they're just going to run with it and then you're going to the toughest job you're going to have is just is keeping up yeah, I. It's funny that you you mentioned that too with the kids piece. One of the things that you guys did during, um, really the first when COVID first kind of hit and everybody was stuck at home and quarantine was you guys did some fun, uh, vi- like videos for kids. And I remember my I have a four year old and she did 
one on how to use a compass. And she was, she had so much fun just participating in that. And I, I think about one of the big challenges, whether it's because somebody's just young and they're, they're children and they're trying to find their way in life, or whether it's because somebody is in their 30s or 40s and they're intimidated because they're like, can I really start? I didn't grow up doing this. Or maybe somebody's, uh, you know, a female and doesn't see a lot of female representation. Maybe there's somebody who's a person of color and they don't see a lot of people represented in the fishing industry that looks like them. And so there's these walls that get put up, these barriers to entries that, that people feel. And it's seemed to me like from, from a very long time, uh, that Orvis has tried to, to lower those walls so that more people can engage in fishing. And I think that goes against a lot of the culture that people experience. Well, so you, 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 you hit on, you hit on a key point there, right? Like, um, I mean, it, it is fun to be passionate about something, to go all in, to push it as hard as you can, to get hardcore with it. Um, I think everybody can can relate to that. That's really really fun, um, and and there's you know it 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 tickles on the on the, it tickles the adrenaline bone right. It's it's intoxicating. Um, uh, I've I've had chapters of my life, or I still do, where I absolutely love it. Um, uh, you know, I think one thing that we believe in is is when you get close to something, when you get really, really, really passionate with it, uh, about something, it's really easy to develop blind spots. Uh, I, that's just natural, right? I, I, I come from I come from a privileged background when it comes to fly fishing. I was I was I was born with a fly rod in my hand. I always had someone there who's teaching me how to do it. I, I learned the fly fishing language before I before I knew how to speak the English 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 language well. Right? I'm stumbling through my words just to prove my point, but um. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, the other thing that, that I've always seen my father and my uncle and my grandfather exhibit is, is, a, is a genuine sense of curiosity. Like they'll sit down with somebody who has never done, who's never fly fished before. Maybe they fly fished once and they're just as interested in, in their journey into fly fishing as they are sharing theirs. Right. And so mm. the reason why I bring that up is because that, that curiosity, I think that curiosity is something we've really relied upon at Orvis because it, it, it compels us to really stop and listen and ask questions. And when you stop and listen, people will, and, and you create that space and you really invite people to share where they're coming from. They're going to, they, they uncover some really interesting, meaningful stuff for you. And that's how we've discovered these barriers. We, we didn't discover them ourselves. I I'm, I'm too close to it. I can't sit there and tell you what the, what the biggest barriers are. Um, but when we stop and, and listen, um, there are a lot of people out there that are passionate about this sport that for one reason or another aren't aren't connecting with it or struggling to gain traction with it or maybe they're at a certain point in their journey and, and they're they're hitting a roadblock and and that's how we've kind of developed whether it's our content, whether it's our experiences, whether it's our services it, it, or whether it's our, our 50, 50 initiative as far as you know getting more women in the fly fishing or whether it's uh, our anglers for all pledge, which is, uh, you know, supporting access and diversity, whether it's going back to my grandfather starting schools, you know, when you stop and listen, people help you realize the different barriers you can lower, you can work to lower, and then you just start creating more pathways into the sport. You create more people that love the sport, more people that are pushing you to create great products. And you also, you're creating more people that, that love the, the natural resource and are willing to, to speak up for it, which is, which is honestly ultimate. That's, that's the ultimate goal. 
Absolutely. And one of the things I think that is really cool that a lot of my listeners have probably seen, but some of them probably haven't, is that you guys paired up with another sponsor of the show, Hell's Bay and Captains for Clean Water, to put together a really incredible skiff that is being raffled um, in order to raise money for conservation with Captains for, for Clean Water. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that project and how that came to be? Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of a funny story. So, um, uh, I, I, I love being on a polling platform. Uh, it's, I, I don't know if I can even tell you why I probably could, if I gave it some thought, I could, I could probably articulate it, but I just, it's, it's a happy space for me. Like I could spend days upon days up there and, and everything in the world would be all good as far as I was concerned. Um, and, and I always dreamed of owning a skiff, but living in, Montana or living in Vermont, I just, I, I was struggling to talk myself into pulling the trigger. Um, you know, I once made it, made one out of a John boat and an aluminum polling platform that my friend helped me weld that I used for carp fishing on the flats of rivers. But that, that, that wasn't the same. Like I was still, still always dreaming of, a, of, a, of having a skiff. And I finally talked myself into, into, into going for it and getting one. I, actually, I think it was, I think it was my wife that helped talk me into it. She reminded me that uh, she'd, she'd remind me how much I had talked about it, uh, over the course of the 15 years she'd known me. So she's like, just, we, we, this, this has to happen. <laughs> you, you just, you're too crazy about this thing. And, and, um, and so I, I started looking for used skiffs, um, and was reaching out to a bunch of guides I knew just to, to see if they knew of any that were available. Um, and David Mangum, who's a tarpon guide down your way in the panhandle, who, who my brother and I fish with every year, um, he, he, he threw it out there. He said, you know what? It might be worth talking to the Hell's Bay crew. Um, just, just connect with them. Who knows? Maybe there's a brand collab that could, uh, that, that you guys could put together or something that could, that could be really cool. Um, and it sounded like mm-hmm. an interesting idea. So I got connected with Michael Greger and Chris Peterson over at Hell's Bay. And, you know, it, it's such a iconic brand. I, I knew about Hell's Bay boats and I knew about their reputation, but you know, it's, it's, it's something else when you get to know the people behind the brand, when you get to know, their belief system, why they're in that business, um, how they approach it. And you get to know, uh, who they are. Um, and, and, uh, quickly, quickly came to find that there's just, there's a ton of overlap between the, the two companies, whether it's passion for time on the water, whether it's passion for quality or attention to detail or the craft or conservation and giving back. And so it, it just, it felt like a really good match. One conversation led to another. And, uh, we came up with this idea of, of this Orvis edition skiff, which is sort of this, this, uh, premier level, any of their premium skiffs, it's kind of like a, a premier level of that skiff. And, um, and what, what the, one of the coolest ideas, like you said, was to, uh, have the first one be um, one that was made for for captains for clean water. You know they do that that raffle every year, and there's just it's such a such a great organization and uh, just what they stand for, how they go about it, what they're able to do. It's just uh, you know you, you love supporting groups like that, and so it just they were they were super psyched about it, and um, it was just it was a great way to kind of get this off the ground. So that's been going on throughout the summer they've been navigating the world of covid doing their thing uh with uh, with with that raffle and and ultimately the prize will will be that skiff when they raffle it off but um we'll be we'll be uh we'll be revealing i don't think i'm 
I don't think I'm breaking any confidence now. I don't know when you'll publish this, but if, if I do, I'll get yelled at by some of the people at Orvis, but <laughs> but they'll have to get over it. We'll be revealing the Orvis edition, I believe, next week, or, or I don't know, maybe when, when you post this podcast, it might already be live, but um, it's going to, it's, it's, it's super cool. I, I was lucky to have the, the second boat. Um, I've, I got the second boat and I've spent some time on it and it's, it's super, super fun. Yeah, I think that it's really cool to see companies like Orvis and Hell's Bay coming together. And I think that we could see more sparks like that kind of coming in into our outdoor industry of just people trying to collaborate to, one, create some incredible products, and two, try to use those to continue to push towards conservation. And um, I think the boat is just absolutely incredible, and, and I've been able to see it. And so I think it's a, a really, really... Um, awesome way for you guys to work together and i'll make sure that i have a link to it in the in the blog post too so that people can go and and check it out um if it's good with you i I have a long list of rapid fire questions which is really just my way of throwing out a bunch of random things that i've in you know kind of come across as i've researched and prepped for this so if you're ready for it I'd, i'd love to dive into some of that yeah for sure you what what do you want you want rapid fire answers you want quick quick hits you you know yeah so Nobody ever does rapid fire. It okay. just, it's <laughs> at this point, it's just uh, faulty advertising for, for the segment. <laughs> okay. Um, eventually, I... we're due for a rebrand. <laughs> All right. Well, if, I, if I'm not being rapid enough, just, just interrupt me and we'll move on. Yeah. So, one is obviously in your life, you've had the opportunity to hunt and fish a lot of incredible places. To you, what, what has been the most impactful hunting or fishing experience that you've had in your life? Um, that's a, it's a great question there, you know, fly fishing, just, it just takes you to amazing places and you get to meet amazing people. It's such an incredible sport. And so there's so many, um, uh, is it all right if I give you a couple really quick ones? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, so, uh, well, one, one that comes to mind is, uh, the Smith river in, in central Montana, which is, which is where I spent a ton of times guiding. It's a, it's a 60 mile Canyon stretch, um, with one public put in at the top, one public take out at the bottom. Once you're in, you're in for four or five days. Uh, it's, it's where I got engaged to my wife. It's where I spent a lot of time sort of cutting my teeth as a guide. And it's where I got to bring our two and a half year old, or when our daughter was two and a half, we, we brought her down that trip, um, for five days, which was just, it was just, it was really, really special. So that's a great place that anybody out there that wants to, that likes trout fishing should go. Um, you know, there's a, there's, there's a trip I, I went on last year. It was, it was about a month before COVID hit, um, in, in, in Belize. Um, and we have a endorsed Orvis endorsed lodge there co- called Copal tree. And the reason why I bring that up is because Belize is a, it's, it's a, it's an amazing story. There's this guy there that we've become good friends with called Will Mejia and, and he, what they've done is they've, they've really, that, that local population down there has really claimed that natural resource as theirs to protect and conserve. And they're, you know, there, there are plenty of inspiring stories of, of, uh, people going into places and, and, and helping, established best practices and conservation this is one that's really kind of homegrown and it's fun to see it's fun to see the uh people like will 
uh, advocating for the natural resource, like leading, introducing these conservation practices that that are going to ultimately lead to a thriving, sustainable resource, whether it's banning gill netting or, or, or how they go about it. You know, he's out at night um, looking for poachers. They're, they're, they're just, they're, 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 they got this really cool thing going on that's really inspiring and I think a great model for um, how a bunch of us can, can look at our natural resources. So that's, that's another one that comes to mind just because, you know, you go to these places, you meet these people, you see them in action, you see what they're doing and it's just, it's inspiring and you can, you can bring, bring all this stuff back. Um, uh, one other, well, I got two other, I have to mention, sorry, I'll be, I'll be quick. Well, no, no problem. Um, you know, one that's, uh, one that, uh, might be a little controversial, but not so much in the world of fishing is, um, is I spent a year and a half developing our trip to Cuba. We have an Orvis Adventures trip that goes to Cuba. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't anymore. But with the new administration, um, my my guess is it will come back. And what's interesting about well, first it was it was memorable for a number of reasons. For one, like every time I'd go down to 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 Cuba during that time, I would uh, I would stop over in Miami for a night and I'd fish with this guy named Dan Diaz who goes out at night and fishes for tarpon underneath the bridges right in downtown Miami out of a canoe. And, um, and he's, he's the man. And, uh, so I just, I, I, I emailed him and asked him if, if he'd be down, um, if I joined him one night. So, so anyway, what that trip became fun because I I'd go down and I'd spend all night with Dan, uh, in his canoe underneath the bridges. I wouldn't get any sleep. He'd rush me to the airport at five in the morning I'd, and I'd catch my plane to, to Cuba. So that always made it special. But what was really interesting about the about developing this Cuba trip is that we took, took I took a year and a half to do it. You know, it was really important for us that it was 100% legal, um, that we did it the right way. We, we, we used um, just an amazing legal team that had, had been working with the, the U.S. government um, but what was so cool about that was um, Cuba's tricky, right? When you, when you, uh, tricky's an understatement. I mean, anytime you get to see a, a, a communist country firsthand, it's, it, it's, it, you, you really gain a, an appreciation for what those people are going through and how, how tough they have it. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, you can read about it in a, te- in a textbook. Um, but it's completely different when you go and you experience it. And what was happening at that time was Raul was starting to allow for entrepreneurialism within some of the people to start taking hold. And so we went in there and and tried to and, and join some people on the ground, uh, some Cubans who really knew how to do it well and really connect with these people that were kind of starting their own businesses. That was this was kind of new in Cuba and and focused on the people and focused on the experiences. And it was stuff like yeah, you'd go experience amazing fishing in this, in this amazing resource. And then you'd also, uh, uh, you know, you'd, you'd also go and spend a day, spend a half day with someone who had, whose family had owned a garage restoring cars for years and you'd spend time with them, or you'd have a, a, a mojito with a, with a, a musician who would talk to you about the history of the city. And then, um, and then play an original composition that he had written uh, about Cuba. I mean, it was just, it was a lot of amazing experiences that mm-hmm. uh, got to support the people. They got to learn about people. Um, uh, there's a guy down there, Felipe Rodriguez, who's just a, a, a legend who's really investing in, in teaching young kids and 
Cuban kids how to be guides and how to be conservationists. And we helped him. He had been trying to get a visa to the U.S. for for years, and we helped him get that visa, and he came here. And anyway, it's just it was a really, really, really special trip um, for a number of reasons, and it's developed into one. And, and hopefully, we get back to allowing people to to connect with that. Um, and then, Hunter, I guess the last one that I'd I'd, I'd, I'd throw out there is it's just one that's kind of seared in my brain. As I remember, I remember when I was nine, and um, we we went. Uh, went down with uh, my my dad, my mom, and my brother to fish the Bahamas, and I, re- I remember this trip distinctly because um, my dad had brought along a one weight. It was it was a one ounce one weight rod that Orvis had just developed, and he was determined to catch a bonefish on it. And so, wow, <laughs> you know, I spent. It was just fun. I was I I was nine, and I was I had a rod, but I just sort of sort of it was it was. I just remember being captivated watching him hiding behind mangroves, trying to get this presentation to fish, getting them to eat, chasing after them. And I think what it did for me, it was one of it's, you know, it's just one of those times where I really, I think I understood what his passion was all about and what Orvis's passion was all about and kind of what it meant to me, whether it was, Hey, let's look at equipment. Let's look how far we can push it. Let's look at what crazy stuff we can do with it. And then let's go have some crazy fun with it. And then it also, it also, you know, he's just someone who loves exploring places and exploring resources and natural resources and finding new ways to connect with them and finding new ways to look at them and understand them. And, uh, and I just remember watching him with this silly little one weight catching and landing this bonefish. And at the time thinking, what the, why the hell is he doing this? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then, and then over time I, I started to get it. And then I, I, I realized that, um, that I'd, I'd probably been conditioned in the same way. And I'm sure my kids are, are saying that I'm doing the same, same type of crazy <laughs> stuff. So they'll have stories to tell later on in life. Yeah. Why is he push pulling for carp? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. What, yeah. yeah. What is he thinking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a lot of people who listen to this podcast have kids and their desire is to, you know, allow them to grow up in the outdoors and, to I like the way that you worded it at the beginning of the interview to find their their love for the outdoors. What advice would you give to parents who are hoping to help their kids fall in love with hunting and fishing and everything that Orvis represents? Yeah, I, I think it's the same. Well, um, it's it's always tough striking the balance between forcing the forcing kids to do something that you know is is for the best is is for the best for them. And letting them kind of come into it naturally because, because kids are kids. Um, and, and that can be a beautiful thing and it can be a maddening thing. Um, I'm, uh, I'm on the, the board of Trout Unlimited Headwaters, which is all about, um, looking at this next generation and how they call it a stream of engagement and how you get, how you connect kids with the resource through fly fishing at an early age and then how that goes all the way through college and it's amazing how how different um each each level of engagement is you know how, how you approach kids in middle school versus how you coach how you approach high schoolers versus how you approach college kids and i think the first step is really respecting where a, a kid is in their in their life in their adolescence it's something i have to remind myself all the time as a parent but um uh, letting them 
be kids, letting them, they're going to, if you get out there and you do it and you model it, they're going to want to be a part of it. And mm -hmm. if you let them then kind of put their hands on the steering wheel, so to speak, and come up with, with what they want to do in the outdoors, even if it's not something you want to do they're they're going to love doing it and they're going to love doing it with you. And it's just, it's going to get in their blood at a young age. And once that's the case, you're, it's, it never goes away. And, um, and you know, it's, it's not very specific. It's probably not very helpful advice, but I just, I find myself continuing to, to remind myself that, um, this, the, the relationship with the outdoors is theirs. And, and I have to respect that. And, and I think I have to celebrate it. And, and so however, however they want to connect with the outdoors, I'm in, I mean, I've, I've, there've been, there've been afternoons where I've been trying so hard to lobby my, my six-year-old daughter into going fishing with me. And she's just, she's not going to have it. And I want so badly just to take her and strap her in that seat and we're going to go. But instead she tells me that she wants to go, um, do something in the garden or go for a hike or take the dog or train the dogs or something. And honestly, like that's what we're doing. Cause at the end of the day, my number one ob objective is just to kind of, uh, fuel that fire in her. And it's going to, mm -hmm. it's, it's going to, um, you know, it's going to spark up in different ways here and there, and that's going to change throughout her life. And I just, I kind of want to be there to support it and, and be along for the ride. You know, it's, it's, I, I am going to have my own relationship with the outdoors. She's going to have hers, my son's going to have his and we're going to get have plenty of time to have fun out there but but I, I want it to be something special for them. Yeah, and I've even found myself with my daughter who's about to be 5, you know, I I want her to to do it right. Like I want her to learn things the right way and I want her to be good at it and I sometimes I lose sight of well what what matters right now is actually her having fun and those aren't uh necessarily pitted against each other. But I do think too for for parents sometimes it you have to discipline yourself to slow down and just to say what matters right now is that we're spending time together and they're enjoying this and if they cast wrong or if they do something wrong or wh whatever I mean learning how to to teach lovingly but also just I, I really think that um I think you put it really well like help them just find their love for it and it's going to look different and you know I think that uh I think that's a balance that a lot of parents are, are hoping to find. So I think that was, that was really helpful. Ba I appreciate you. Yeah. Balance is a good word. Discipline is a good word. Now don't get me wrong. You can, you can brainwash. We, we, when my daughter was four months old, that's when we, we first got her out on a skiff and we caught a redfish <laughs> and held her next to it and wiped some of the slime on her face. And, and so there there are ways to brainwash her, especially early on. But, uh, <laughs> but, but then, then to your point, you gotta be, you gotta be disciplined. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of ways that you can make things really enjoyable, whether it's the amount of time that you do the trip or it's, you know, in skiffs, a friend of mine, uh, you know, was showing me like how, uh, he has a account called hooked on family and, you know, he's just showing me some of the little tricks along the way, the, the certain toys he brings or the way you, you do snacks or, you know, using bean bags as transportation when you have a kid that's like really young because you're trying to figure out how do I keep this kid safe on this skiff? Sna snacks are huge. The, the length, <laughs> length of the trip is huge. You know, you, you said it right. If you can, it, it, you know, they're going to have a meltdown. It's going to happen. And you know your kids, if you can if you can get out of there, out of there before the meltdown happens, that's kind of, that's, 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 that's huge. It doesn't always work, but making sure, 
and I've there's so many times when I pushed it too far and the meltdowns happening in yep. you know in the river or outside somewhere. But if if it, you know if you can get in and get out of there while it's still a positive experience, that always helps. Yeah, and and those meltdowns can become chain reactions where all of a sudden your spouse is melting down or another kid is melting down. And I I, I was thinking about a trip I had where I. I um, did an interview in uh, Blue Ridge, and it was a really fun interview. And we slipped down to some trout water, and uh, my my four year old wanted to walk along the bank, and my wife was there, and we had our infant at the time. And you know, before you knew it, you know, the four year old slipped, and the water was cold, and the baby was crying, and it was like I had realized, oh no, I I pushed it too far, and <laughs> I then pushed it too far, and then man, the wheels fall off, and then you're just trying to get everything back back home in one piece but that happens that's just you, you, you can't yeah. be surprised when that happens you try to avoid it but but don't be surprised and and kids kids forget they 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 continue to love you they trust you there's there'll be another chance to get out there so tell me about you've you've had the opportunity to fish with a lot of different captains and one of the in guides and one of the things i like to ask people who have had a lot of experience with that is what do you feel like makes a great guide um, yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a great question. And it's honestly, like when I was, when I was little, I just, I was captivated by, by the guide. Um, any guides I knew they were kind of, they were the professional athletes for me. And when I was working at that lodge, you know, scraping scum off of the, out of the pond, um, I was surrounded by some amazing guides and some, some, some legends, uh, in the, in, in the world of guiding. And I saw a couple things that really imprinted themselves on me and, 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 and shaped kind of not only my, my, my desire to become a guide, but the type of guide I wanted to, to be. Um, and, uh, and, and if I'm being honest, uh, so much of, of, of guiding so much, when you watch a good guide, it's, it, it, the experience of guiding is really, it can be a kind of a master class in leadership. I, I, it, it, I, I'm not lying when I say like, I use it every day in, in, in my job as president of Orvis, but you know, what, what, what you're trying to do at the end of the day is, is, is you're trying to help your client have the best day. And, and the best guides I watched, they were so, so good at this. Um, and they set their ego aside and that's, that's harder to, that's, that's harder to do than it is to say, right? We can all say, yeah, set your ego aside, but you're in this thing. You're passionate. You love doing this. You've committed your life to it. You've committed your resources to it, uh, your, your own resources to it. Like there, ego isn't a bad thing. It's a natural thing, but the, the best guides I've seen, they, they have somehow have an ability to set that aside. They understand how to connect with a, they, a wide range of personalities, which is never easy. Um, and and that allows them to not only connect but to also influence. And I I mean that in a good day because someone's with you. They're looking to, uh, they're spending money and they're looking to get something out of that day. And it could be a number of different things, but it's it's your job to connect and to and to help make that happen and to influence. And and at the end of the day, you know, a great guide in my mind is a phenomenal teacher. That's what I was always striving to do. And 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 you're you're helping them connect with a fishery or a specific technique. I mean, no, no two fisheries are the same, right? So that's what you're, 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 it doesn't matter how many times your client has fished. It doesn't matter how many times they fish that specific spot. It's you're, you're always teaching. Um, and, 
and there there are are great easy clients they're clients that are 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 difficult and you take years off your life but at the end of the day these are all people and and they might think the same thing of you as far as you know, they might think you're a pain in the ass guide but the people that can kind of break through all that set their ego aside really connect um and 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 that's what guiding is. I, th- I think it's 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 it is a masterclass education how to connect with people. It's it's all about empathy, truly hearing and seeing someone, whether it's in their their the the best the best version of them or the worst version of them, and then and then helping them be their best. That's ultimately what you're trying to do, right? You're helping them be successful and and, and empathy, truly connecting with them, um, is 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 that those are the the guides I see who who do that. I'm just. I'm I'm in awe because it it always leads to a really really special experience regardless of how crappy the weather is whether the fish aren't behaving um, but I you just you watch how rewarding it is for the people in their boat and it's it's a special thing it's it is a it is an incredible skill set that I I think a lot of people either take for granted or don't realize how unique and special it is a a, a great guide is. Like I said, it was, I found it inspiring. It, 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 it shaped kind of what I wanted, what I wanted to do for a big chapter of my life. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You kept saying, um, masterclass. I, th- I think we need to try to, I know that you guys have produced a lot of content with Tom Rosenbauer on how to fly fish, but you guys should p- partner up with masterclass and get Tom to do a, how to fly fish masterclass. Cause it's, if I feel like they're doing everything everything else they might as well break into that scene you know you're the you're the you're it's funny you're i think you're the fifth person in the last couple months that has suggested that so um if i'm if 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 i have any any smarts about me i i I should look into that because i yeah you're you're right it's that that's that's what that's what we love to do yeah so i mean speaking of tom i was i was curious i i interviewed tom uh last year and he's he's quite the character and he's had such a great legacy in in fly fishing with just all the the books and video resources that that he's done do you have any great tom rosenbauer stories man there tom is tom is amazing so when i came to work for orvis i my, my first job at orvis was i was what we call the web merchant for fishing and hunting. I was basically in charge of, of, of the website for, for the fishing and hunting categories. And I sat in this, I, my desk was in this little pod and I was next to Tom Rosenbauer and Phil Monahan, who writes the, the blog. And these are, these are probably two of the most knowledgeable, knowledgeable people when it comes to fish, when it comes to fishing, the full spectrum, it's, it's insane. And it was such a cool place to sit. Right. Um, because you just, you, you, are around these, these people that are just constantly spewing out this, they, they just, they, they're, the extent of their knowledge is, 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 is amazing. But Tom, Tom's a character and I've known Tom, I've known Tom my entire life. So it's, it was fun to sort of grow up around him, seeing at, see him at Orvis summer parties. Um, and then, you know, and then however many years later get to work with him. And he just always kept kept me entertained. You know, he's. I'll share. I'll share. I'll share two stories with you. One is, one's just a funny one because um, Tom is Tom's the best at dealing with telemarketers. Like, I, what was so fun was that he would he would entertain himself. So he'd be sitting at his desk. Someone would call and try to sell him some type of marketing, whatever, and um, he would immediately spin it and. Uh, 
start trying to sell the telemarketer on a fly fishing 101 class. And so, <laughs> and, and you just sit there and it was amazing how he'd do it. And all of a sudden it was the telemarketer that was trying to get off the phone with him or trying to hang up with him. <laughs> and every, you could tell when he, when you could tell from when he answered the phone that that's what was happening. And we'd all just stop and turn around and watch him at work. Cause he was, he was so good at it. I don't know if he ever got one to sign up for it, but it was just, that's just kind of what he does. He's, he's a goofball at heart. He's, he's really, really funny. But I think my favorite Tom story is, um, and we actually made a short film about this about this guy, this guy, this kid at the time, whose name is Joey Maxim. The the, the short film is called Mend. Um, but so so Tom Tom loves anybody who's excited to talk fishing with him. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. He'll, he'll get lost and he'll forget what he's supposed to be doing. And he just loves connecting with people. It's what makes him so good at, at what he does. But we, he, he once got this letter from this high school kid in Pennsylvania, whose name was Joey Maxim. And, um, you know, he gets letters all the time and it's amazing how much and he gets phone calls all the time. It's amazing how much time he gives all of it just because he loves it. But um, Joey was a high school kid who, um, who was a, who was an, he was a three sport athlete. He was a great student and um, he had suffered. He had been in a terrible car crash. He had actually died on the scene and, but they were able to bring him back um, and uh, in the ambulance. And he had a, he had a TBI, which um, changed, changed his, his life and he couldn't really focus in school. But, um, anyway, he, he started kind of reconnecting with life. It was fly tying that helped him focus, that helped him kind of get back into the flow of life. And he wrote Tom this letter and, and I I don't know if he thought Tom would ever read it, but, um, he said, Hey, and he wasn't asking for anything. All he was saying was he, he said, Hey, here's my story. I would love to become a fly fishing guide. Do you have any advice for me? And Tom's the type of guy that will take something like this and just run with it, right? So um, he reached out to Joey. He reached out to Joey's parents. Um, he had Joey on the podcast. He brought Joey out to, we have a, a, a guide rendezvous every single year where, you know, we have over 500 guides from around the world that get together. And it's, it's kind of a, a, a couple of days where everybody in the industry gets to connect. We share best practices. They share best practices. It's, it's, it's a really, and it's, and we drink a bunch of beer and have a ton of fun. And it's a, it's also a big party. We brought Joey out there, Tom fished with them out there, introduced him to a bunch of, of guides who were just, you know, icons for this kid. And, um, and shared, we had a big banquet and, and Tom shared his story and Joey got up and spoke and there were, there were, you know, people that jumping up saying, Hey, if you can make it up to British Columbia this summer, you can have a job with us. Or, or it was just, it was a really cool moment. Joey ended up in going and, and guiding for Worldcast uh, in, in Jackson hole. And he's now a professional guide. And that's wow. just, that's just one of hundreds of stories of how Tom has kind of shaped and influenced people's lives in, in really powerful ways. And it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch. Yeah, he. When I first started this podcast, he was one of the first people who was willing to talk with me and give me advice. And um, I think that just speaks a lot of Tom, but I think it speaks a lot of the culture of Orvis as well. As he just he bleeds green, you know, he bleeds Orvis, and uh, you know, it's 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 really cool just to see how he shaped so many people, myself included. So um, another another question I had too was. When you think about your formation as an angler 
you know, and you had the opportunity to be around these just so many world-class fishing guides and, and anglers. What do you feel like is, is something that you, a light bulb that clicked being around or, or, or a practice that you saw or a rhythm you saw, something that helped you grow as an angler that you picked up from these guys? Um, yeah. And, and I think you, you know, you said guides and I think it really was guides that I learned from. I mean, I, I would, I kind of told you that growing up, it was, it was the guide that was, that was kind of the professional athlete for me. Right. And so when I was in a boat, uh, half the time I'd be watching them as opposed to the water. Right. And you, you, with really good guides, um, you know, I talked about how you, you study how they connect with people, which is amazing. But then when you study how they connect with the resource or how they connect with the fish, what they're studying, how they, wa- how they read the water, what they're looking at, how the, what, what they're checking, you know, sometimes they share it with you, sometimes they don't, but whether it's understanding the, 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 the fishery, the, the weather, the water temp, um, I, just at a really early age that become that became very apparent to me. And what I understood was to be good at this. Um, I had to love connecting with it. I had to love being curious. I had to love getting out there doing it. I had to love learning from this natural resource that was much bigger than I was that had so much to teach me. And I had to really, I think, um, appreciate and respect how much that this thing that was much bigger than me had to, had to teach me. And that when I watched Mm great guides like they were they're so good at it they're just they're always in tune on just an entirely different level and um so for me it was less about you know it's always fun to to throw that tight tight loop and to you know when you first learn to double haul or to, to they, all the different techniques are really fun but for me it was it was watching someone who's truly fishy who truly thinks like a fish who truly understands the resource who ha- who sits there and it has a plan A, and they also have a plan B, C, D, E, and F because they're just they have such an intimate connection with it, and that's what I just found really inspiring, and that's what I I I I loved, and that's what I ran with, and that's you know the 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 success I have from an angler really comes from kind of that that innate curiosity with with the resource and watching how people connect with it. Yeah, I love I love that phrase you said the intimate connection because I've been on on the boat with people who it just sometimes they're I don't think they're withholding information they just have an intuition they're just so connected to the fishery and what they're doing that they realize you know this is just the next step we need to take the next place the next presentation you know strategy we need to have and they don't it's not necessarily that it's like they have some sort of easy to explain reason it's just that intuition that I think develops from being connected so I I agree with that completely I got two more questions for you Um, the first one is I have to ask you and and this is no no sales pitch here just what is your favorite piece of Orvis gear oh man that's a that's a that's a tough one Um, uh, good question and I can just I can hear the the people in the marketing team or the PR team or whatever <laughs> like no sales pitch pu- yeah, pulling yeah. <laughs> pulling their hair out but um man that's tough because one thing I love about my job is um is just you're always around gear and you're always around people thinking about gear um and 
And just when you think gear can't get any better, these people, like they just, they, they, that's all they do. They live, eat, breathe, sleep. How, how, do, how, how can we make things better? How can we make our time on the water better? Hmm. And so what I love is that I'm, I'm always getting to field test stuff. Um, and, and some of it is, is stuff that's kind of a fail fast and others, but a lot of it is, is really great stuff that then, um, they iterate on and becomes, becomes, uh, becomes a, a really just, just something that, that has a really meaningful role in people's lives on the water. And so uh, the reason why I share that is because I think, I think a product that really resonates for me, you know, that 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 journey throughout the product development process is, I think, what helps me fall in love with certain products. And um, the the breakthrough with the Helios three rod was a really really special one. And um, and just seeing everything that went into that, and everything that went into developing that, and then hearing uh, hearing guides and 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 professionals within the industry get to cast it and and exclaim how amazing it was putting in the hands of, of beginners who said, Oh, wow, this rod feels like it has an autocorrect feature to it. Um, you know, being there throughout the whole process, it was, it was, it was probably the, the first rod that I really got to see from very, very beginning when it was just Mm. scribbling on a paper all the way through to, to the launch. Um, and that, that process of, of, uh, innovating and developing and researching and 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 coming up with an idea and then it 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 becoming something that then you see it in the hands of people and you see what it does for them it's just it's 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 really damn cool and so um the helios 3 is it's just it that's it that's a that's a journey that's a process that i'll that i'll never forget so that's a special one for me yeah i've i've been using those and uh that they, they really are an incredible incredible rod um my last question and i asked this one to tom too and if you if you uh remember uh it might it might make you laugh his answer but i'll let listeners go and find that out themselves but outside of some sort of ad for orvis so i'm going to remove that from the table okay if you had a, a billboard that every angler aspiring angler outdoorsman had to see they were going to drive by this billboard what would you place on that billboard um, aspiring angler, you said. Aspiring angler, or just any angler, any you get a chance to everybody in the well, fishing community. Man, it's a good question. I'm going to give you a crappy answer, but I'll take a shot at it. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, so so we at Orvis we get to study tons of different people. This isn't a, this isn't, I'm, 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 don't worry. The Orvis thing is off the table. I'm just going to, I want to, I'm going to give you a little background to my, it's a crappy answer. So I'm at least going to give you the background. So, so you have <laughs> yeah. something to work with. Um, uh, we get to, we get to listen to customers all the time. Hasty, happy customers, angry customers, customers that think this way, customers that think that way. Um, and, uh, what's interesting is you, you understand, how different demographics are think very different what inspires them what they really care about what influences them and their differences but then there are also some common threads um and those common threads are really really powerful and when it comes to fishing and conservation um there are a lot of things that are polarizing for people whether it's it's 
they find them intimidating or they think they, they have a belief system that leans one way and people and others lean a different way. But there's a, there is a, there's a powerful idea that connects people that I think um, we really believe in, which is this idea of, of preserving this for future generations. Anybody that loves something, um, I think they, 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 can, they can identify how much it means to them right and they can they can identify how much happiness it brings them and how much health it brings them and then once they process all that once they get to exercise that um it just people i think innately go to okay how can i how can i how can i create this how can i how can i allow for others to experience the same thing that has made such a difference in my life um and i think that happens to all of us and um and and so and especially when you're talking about your own kids right or maybe you have mm-hmm. a niece or a nephew or you have a friend's kid or maybe you're talking about your your grandkids but this idea of this thing that is so sacred to me that means so much to me i want this to be able to impact the next generation my kids my grandkids i want them to be to be able to impact them to the same degree or maybe even better um, that's a powerful idea that links a lot of people and that it's an idea that doesn't, that isn't specific just to fly fishing. And so it's an idea that stretches beyond fly fishing, but is also very powerful within fly fishing. And so the billboard for me would have, I don't even know if it would have any words. I guess it would have to have a word. It has to have a call to action. Again, the, the marketing people right now are pulling their hair out, but, um, it would have to have a really powerful image and it would have to be about, um, it would have to convey this idea of this thing that means so much to you, you getting the opportunity to, to create that moment for, for other people, especially future generations that, that, that you're connected with, whether it's teaching them, whether it's protecting the places for them. But I think it would be that because I've just seen how, how that idea just connects people across, like I said, across demographics that sometimes can't agree on anything. And so I think, I think, uh, I think it would be something along those lines. That's, that's great, man. I'm, I'm really grateful for the time that we got to hang out and chat today. And I look forward to chatting again and, and recording more episodes in the future. Um, but we're really grateful to have you on here. Thanks for joining us, man. Any, um, any, uh, closing thoughts? No, I just say thanks. Thanks for having me and thanks for doing what you do. You know, this, this, uh, this, this idea of, of sharing stories and helping people get exposed to others and connecting. It's just that this, the, the, the fly fishing community is such a special community because it's full of so much passion. Um, it's just, it's really fun to, to connect with people throughout the industry. And, and so, yeah, we're just, uh, I love what you're doing. Love the podcast. It was, it was awesome to be on with you and, um, and look forward to look forward to doing it again sometime. Thanks again for listening to the captain's collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective.